everybody. My name is Pete Liston and I'm the host of the Military Mindset for Business podcast. And today I've got Luke and Rob, the founders of IO Energy. And I've been really keen to get these two lads onto this pod for a while because number one, I've been watching their journey into business from well, well, well before it started. And it's a fascinating business. It's a fascinating story. Um, so Luke and Rob, g'day lads. Hey, hey Pete. Thanks for having us. Hey, so what, like I do, first of all, um, before we get into the crux of what is IO Energy and, and what you guys do, can you just share a little bit about your initial stories into the military? Um, uh, Luke, first, mate, why did you even join the military in the first place? Uh, good question. I think that um, half of it was, you know, what I could do for the military and for the country, and the other half is what it could do for me. I um, joined straight in and... Um, out of high school and went to the academy. So I got a good education. I was paid to study and I knew I was set on a good career path that would take me through to be an army officer. And Rob? Yeah, well, um, originally, yeah, I've been interested in, in, in the army for a very long time. Um, way, way back at primary school, someone uh, someone came to my primary school and talked about the army cadets. So I thought that sounded, sounded good, joined, um, did that for a few years. And then uh, eventually um, joined the Army Reserve once I was old enough. Um, and then I was studying aerospace engineering at Adelaide Uni and saw a good path to uh, to go into, into the Army through the undergraduate scheme. So they sponsored me to finish my studies, which was pretty great, getting getting paid to study. And then um, finished uh, finished my degree and uh, yeah, went straight into the Army as, a, um, as an officer after that. So what kind of jobs did you do in the Army? Um, for me, yeah, so uh, aeronautical engineer, spent the first couple of years um, up at Aviation Training Centre um, in Oki at the uh, at the Ramey um, Aviation Training School there. And then uh, from there posted up to 1st Aviation Regiment in Darwin, which is uh, where, I, where I originally came across Luke. I think we both posted up there at the same time, both living on base near, nearby each other and, you know, didn't, didn't know too many people up there. So ran into Luke and... Uh, uh, came friends pretty quickly, and uh, yeah, after after the time up in Darwin, um, I spent three years up there, uh, posted uh, down to Adelaide to a uh, to an Air Force unit actually, and then a um, couple, couple more engineering postings um, down Adelaide before uh, taking uh, or before leaving the army. I don't know yeah, what Robin it is I... about. So I don't know what it is about Ramy, but there seems to be a distinct Ramy flavour. So Ramy is the Royal Australian Electrical and Mechanical Engineers. Of which hand up, I'm I'm one of those fellas as well. Um, maybe maybe there's a bit of a subconscious theme going here about uh, you know who we're listing. Uh, over to you, Luke. Um, yeah, I think the Ramey guys are good builders, whether it's businesses or smart bodies. dudes. Smart dudes. <laughs> yeah. Um, the um, yeah, the point that Rob and I met was probably about three quarters of the way into each of our careers. Um, my path is a bit different, so I was trained as a logistician after the college and um but i never quite did that work i i never worked in a, log a pure logistics unit i always worked in um, first line units so i worked with infantry worked with aviation a couple of times worked in a signals unit um i worked in some reserve headquarters and um and and in army headquarters as well um what's I loved about that was to be in touch with the the guys on the ground and and helping them to do their job. It was a it was a good job. 
We um, it's it's fascinating. Like army is such a, or the military in general is such a broad career, and uh, you, your paths can just diverge and collapse at any one time. But I'm interested. How, you guys met uh, up in Darwin what ten or so years ago? Was that about right? Yeah, I think it was yeah about close to yeah, 2013, uh, 2014 probably. So when obviously just hanging out as mates, and I'm just going to reflect back into my experience uh, with my co-founder Matt. Um, is that Mose and I always were chatting about a future out of army, even then we're, when we're well in army. When did you lads start to have this sort of first sort of inkling that, you know, what's next for you guys? Um, I, I think probably less so. We weren't really talking about, you know, future outside of army so much, but um, sort of after our time working together, one aviation regiment, uh, Luke and I kind of posted our post our separate ways, but we kept in touch, more just discussing, um, you know, ideas and just gen- generally, um, you know, inside um, the army, but more just, you know, general ideas. And we kind of reconnected over working together on how army could be better innovators. Um, and mm. that was kind of where the, the project that we sort of came, came back and, and worked on together. And we, we sort of, um, actually, mostly Luke and, and, and me and another collaborator of ours developed this um, innovation training course that got delivered a, a few times. Um, and I guess in, from my perspective, one of the reasons for kind of moving on out of out of the army was that uh, this was such a great concept that we developed. It was so successful, but we never were able to actually get the support and the legs to actually make it a permanent thing despite mm-hmm getting really amazing feedback on this innovation training course. Um, and that was like, well, the good thing about a startup is, you know, you, you don't have a boss, you don't need approval. You kind of just get to go do whatever you want. So almost that was a bit of a impetus for me that the, the success of that and the failures to actually kind of take it to the next level was one of the reasons for sort of going on and uh, sort of founding it for a startup. Mm, yeah, it was um, in the end a pretty great course. We got good feedback on it. Um, we delivered it to people through the Special Forces Training Centre and the RAF Air Warfare College and some others. Um, we had a decent, you know, individual sponsor in Army Headquarters who provided a lot of top cover to try and get it going. But ultimately, um, you know, it all comes down to funding lines and there really wasn't that kind of institutional support yeah. for it. So it became a bit challenging after a while. Um, yeah, but nonetheless, the um, the seed had been sown and we were keen to to do something innovative of our own. So I think that's where we first met Rob on maybe one of those courses at uh, Ramwick Barracks. But look, I've racked my mind. Where did we first cross paths? Was it Headquarters Forces Command in Paddington maybe? or I think that we might have met there or on a course perhaps. On a course. Maybe, yeah, maybe LOIC or something like that. Yeah, because I remember when it came to, for somehow we got connected and, and, and I really remember at that time, because that was before I'd really got into any substantial, well, it must've been before I'd got into substantial kind of business because we were still doing that course at the barracks, but that just the way you guys were thinking back then about how to innovate, how to create. And I remember thinking like these lads are going into business one day. When is it, when is this actually going to, uh, you know, break out of the army bureaucratic shell and, and, and start, you know, feeding off its own energy. And it was just a matter of time, I believe. So let's yeah, possibly. Yeah. So how about we um 
let's start talking about now the seeding of those conversations because I still to this day don't know how you go to creating a solar energy business. What first of all, what is IO Energy? What do you do first of all? And then I'll come back to how you started it. Sure. Yeah, IO Energy um, will um, most easily be understandable people as a retail electricity company. We sell electricity to homes, to businesses, and now to governments as well. Um, we um, we sell a variety of other hardware products as well, from solar batteries to different types of heating. And um, at, fundamentally, it comes down to um, harnessing and helping to accelerate Australia's energy transition. And in, in pursuit of that also, um, we are using a lot of technology or building our own technology. So more than half of the company is software engineers at this point. Mm. Like I come across many business owners like every day, whether it be in my own business or through doing the pod or through the veteran community business chamber. But how do you go to starting an energy retailer business? Like where does that seed <laughs> come from? Like I don't get that. Yeah. Mm. I mean, like I said before, uh, we, we were working on this this innovation project um, years earlier in, in the army. And um, and Luke had previously worked on a couple of startup ideas before that that he told me about. So I knew he was sort of interested in, in startups. And I kind of was probably in a bit of like startup finding mode. Um, kind of thinking of a, a startup I could start myself or one I could join. Uh, I, I was kind of, you know, a bit primed after our kind of time doing um, our, our innovation course, which is essentially like a, a, a startup course w within a military context. So um, one day um, I, I was sitting in a coffee shop, uh, as I um, often did on, on a Saturday, I guess, reading The Australian, and there was an article um an Alan Kohler article about um, the Australian energy market. And particularly it was about the explosion in rooftop solar and, that, and how that had sort of grown to the level that each year about a equivalent of a, of a major coal power station was being added in, in rooftop solar. And what that was doing is changing the, the way the wholesale market works, um, which traditionally the, the most expensive time to buy energy had been in the middle of the day, but because of solar that had become the cheapest time and often it was on a wholesale level free to get energy in the middle of the day and and even using energy you could get paid and i thought like that's just that's just crazy like how can a commodity you know you know buyers pay for commodities and sellers get money and it sort of been flipped on its head to people getting paid to use energy and i thought there's got to be some sort of business opportunity here and that was the sort of original primer probably back in mid mid 2019 um, and I sort of was just started working away on a few ideas of, you know, uh, smart home technology, made a, a kind of invention I was working on for a, a smart hot water system that would be able to take that free solar energy from the grid and store it. I uh, started writing some of these ideas and I thought, oh, maybe I can get, get a bit of input from Luke. Like he knows about startups. He, he you know, knows a bit about innovation and ideas. And I thought maybe just a bit of a sounding board throw these ideas out and see, see, you know, if anything sticks. And yeah, Luke initially came back with the few challenging questions and said, I, you know, I don't think this will work and whatnot. And I said, well, but there's this, that. Um, and pretty, pretty quickly, but definitely sort of before the end of 2019, um, Luke had uh, answered a few of his questions and he'd started going, actually, no, I think there's like something really, really here. And and he said, I'm, I'm keen to, to get involved and, and let's, let's found a, a startup and and kind of work on this and 
take to the next level. And and that was kind of where where the idea came from. And in terms of getting into the actual electricity retailing, um, we probably just realized that that was the sort of gatekeeper. And I don't know if Luke want to mm. sort of jump in and sort of tell the next stage. Yeah, of- it, was, it was good timing on Rob's part, um, but also I didn't waste any time. The... Um, the project that we referred to earlier, the innovation project we we're trying to get up and running, um, I just recommended be shut down. And um, and then Rob popped up with this idea. And I reckon within about two months, we'd incorporated a company. Um, and the, um, yeah, the questions that I had for Rob, he more or less answered, or I figured, yep, I think between the two of us, we can get around this. Um, so we... Um, yeah, we started to spend our own money and our own time on the idea. And um, not too long after that, we we took leave and we started to raise capital. Let me just jump at that point there. Is you guys are still serving members of the army at this time with the idea? That's right. Yeah, technically, um, we are still regular army. Um I'm currently on a very like extended period of, of leave and yep. um, yeah, Rob's also on a period of leave. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. I think that was, you know, quite a, a good thing about the, the flexibility. Um, I think the army's changed into being a more flexible organization, but um, from the early days, I actually um, started just taking some, some leave I'd built up and taking a couple of days a week. I got my, my boss to say I could, could do that to start working on the idea. So I was still able to get a, get a salary while kind of building this startup. And then kind of gradually, um, I, and, and Luke similarly like reduced the amount of army work I was doing and, and more, more startup. Um, so I ended up getting circuit six. So working two days a week, um, for the army and, you know, the still kind of trying to cram a, start up you know five five or six day startup typical week into the rest of the week and then uh eventually took my my long service leave so took seven months at half pay and and now on um a couple of years of leave without pay so you, you can actually uh really stretch it <laughs> stretch it out if, if you want to yeah i i stretched it out and um quite a bit as well i i'd served 15 years roughly at the point that i asked for any leave um so i was able to take long service leave at half pay for about nine months. And then after that, um, I requested leave without pay. And so that's currently the situation I'm in. Yeah, I love it. This And this is exactly the same thing that, you know, Matt Mosley and I did is, well, you know, and we are, I haven't said that being an officer, maybe we were a bit luckier that we knew the policy and how the policy worked. And for any of the, uh, anyone in the ranks out there, I'm just hoping that, you know, you get supported in the same way if you go through these processes, but just so you know, the, the policies are there. You may just need to go out and research them and put them to your boss and really challenge your boss, you know, on getting this stuff because that's what gave me number one, the confidence and the security to crack on and start my own business while I was still serving. And I was, I was lucky enough to transition the day that I uh, ended up um, separating from the military. I was actually on more money than I was in the military because it was a very protected and secure process. Um, okay. So, Right now, you've got a company started. Uh, you've got the two of you lads pretty well committing yourselves to this this task. I remember getting a uh, an email from one of our mutual mates, uh, Adrian Waters, who's like, "Man, you're going to invest in IO Energy or what? What's going on with here?" I'm like, "What are you talking about, man? Tell us about your initial foray into capital raising and give us some uh, some lessons learned and what you do again, or you know how how successful was that?" 
uh, it was successful in a word. Um, it, it's not to say it didn't take a lot of effort and probably a lot of our earliest backers were friends and family, um, like Adrian. Um, yep. In fact, he was our biggest backer in the beginning, um, his brother and, um, and himself. And, um, and then also Rob and I are lucky enough that we've got pretty big, pretty big families each. So they all kind of poured in, um, since then we've, um, you know, we've raised more capital and we intend to raise more yet again. So you, you started to, you know, scrape the bottom of that particular barrel, but move on to, to new ones, fresh sources. It's, a, it's funny that what they call the first round is the friends, family, and efforts. Now yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got to admit that, uh, I remember when I got this, I was like, man, I, I want to get a, be a part of this, but I, I didn't have any free cash. At the, you know, I had other things going on in my world. So it's one of the things, you know, op opportunity gone past, but, uh, I like the fact you say scraping the barrel, you know, between their friends, family and effort crowd, but that was just enough. I'm going to let me go back a step. What's it like asking your friends and family for money? Now this is, this is a tough thing because, you know, you've got a pretty big idea here. Um, what was that process like to feel worthy enough and to put your family's money on the line of your good idea? I, I think, um, yeah, it, it is a, it is a tough one. Um, partly because we were backing the idea ourselves and we put a lot in ourselves, both in terms of capital and I guess foregone wages is pr pretty, pretty significant. And, and as Luke mentioned, we had like quite a large number of, of small investors. So we kind of knew that you know, people, we weren't asking people to put their life savings in or anything. And I, I think it's a bit of a delicate one. So um, you kind of just want to present go to people say hey like this is what i'm doing are you in if you're interested i can send you some more info if you're not no worries um so i think it's um it, it is a worthwhile kind of like source of capital to, to go out to to family and friends and you know get those people that are going to back you early um and also probably help try and help in, in other ways with business mm -hmm. connections or about becoming customers or you know potential future employees or you know all, all those things but uh yeah Definitely, generally, I'd say, yeah, raising capital is one of the one of the toughest parts of um, of business, um, particularly particularly at the moment. Uh, you know, it, it's something that it takes a lot of time. Um, you know, you you have to get shot down a lot of times by a lot of investors before you before you get um, the ones that say yes. So I'd definitely, say that's one of been the toughest uh, parts of the business. Yeah, um, good question, Pete. One of the the positives of investing. Uh, or getting investment from family and friends is that you don't necessarily have to have a a working business just yet. Um, one of my friends, a ground defense officer who I went through the through Duntroon with, um, he said, I invested in you. Um, so he he believed in us as founders. Um, and that was nice to hear. Um, so it's quite quite validating and and um, humbling when you hear that sort of commentary. On the flip side, there were there were some people who said that they wouldn't invest. And I remember I had to fight a little bit just to make sure that I kept my emotions in check. Like I didn't take it personally. I had to just recognize, okay, not everybody's got the money in to invest or, you know, can take that risk just now. And um and actually that um, you know, if I if I had done that, it might have been a problem because later on some of those people came in, in the second round, right? When they when their situation had changed or they'd seen that we were on the move. Um so each has their own journey. And then and then finally, um, a point to make about raising from family and friends is that um, 
it actually resolves, I think, some of the tensions between investors and and, and founders because you don't really want to give up much of your company um, if you can avoid it. And um, But at the same time, when we were raising from them, I sort of thought, you know what, I'm happy to share it with them. If we take off, I want them to, yeah. to enjoy the benefits of this success. It, it definitely adds a extra layer of pressure. Generally, when you take on any investor, you've now got someone else whose money you're spending and you've got to, you know, deliver on that. But even more so, um, you know, if it's venture capital, like, you know, that uh, it's institutional money, whereas if it's family and friends, their money, there's, an, I guess, an extra layer of pressure that you have kind of, you know, said, you've given them all the risks and the warnings, but you said, you know, we think we can deliver, we can give you a return on your money. And it certainly puts that extra pressure on to go, no, we actually, we do it. We do have to succeed. We're spending other people's money. We've got to not be wasteful with it. We've got to deploy it to, to get the best return possible. So that's, and I think that's good having that extra layer of discipline. Yeah, actually, um, I think it's spot on there. And Luke, just want to uh, go back to your comment there. If this thing does, you know, go big and like it's every indication that it's on, you know, taking the right paths in that direction is wouldn't it be amazing that the, your friends and family who did get on board are the ones that, you know, that benefit. So uh, credit to those who had the foresight and the courage to get involved early. So can I just talk our way through to the first customer? So from this, where do you take this thing to getting that first person? Cause for me, it's a, it was a pretty cool moment in business where somebody opened up their wallet, reached, you know, and hand over and gave me some coin for a few things. What was that moment to you like? And what was the pathway to that first customer like? I think technically our first customer was Rob. <laughs> <laughs> we just <laughs> slapped him on the customer book straight away. But the first that I remember after that, first unique customer um, is a guy called Robin. Um, and I don't think you'll mind me using his name. He's, he's um, supported us for quite a while now. The um, the way that we got Robin's attention was we ran an ad campaign very early on that um, was a bit more tied into the idea of automation and technology than energy. Um, and now that I think about it, also, we didn't even have an energy product available yet. So we were kind of selling it before it even existed. But the, the thrust of the ad campaign was, you don't need solar to save, all you need is a battery. And the idea was that um, customers could, could attach a battery to their home and they could charge and they could discharge it um, purely connected to the grid um, without solar panels on their rooftop at all. And Robin loved this idea because he had a heritage listed home. I remember that speaking to him, you know, he, the, the lead came in, we called him. And I spoke to him and he told me this and that suddenly it clicked with me that that was, you know, the perfect case of product market fit. Anyway, to date, Robin reckons he's probably saving about $2,000 a year um, from having installed this battery. Um, he charges it when we sell electricity um, for, for next to nothing. And, um, and he uses it to power his home um, when our rates are more expensive. And in doing so, he's probably using some of Australia's cleanest electricity and simultaneously saving a lot of money. Can I just grab that thought for a second there? So I've just learned something today. Like, obviously, I understood solar power and that solar, you know, feeds the house. And then I, you know, I understand level two, which is solar charges your battery. And then when, uh, you know, you switch to the, you know, the more expensive rates, then the battery takes over. But I didn't realize you could actually have a battery attached to your house without solar. So that, yeah, he might have been I, I, I first, actually. Um, he, 
say that again. Say some something that yeah, pe- people kind of ch- chuck chuck the solar panels on on their roof. Um, particularly, you know, here in uh, South Australia is one of the leaders. I think about forty percent of residential houses have solar here. But some people don't know that the typical solar system generates enough power at at midday to to supply itself and about ten other houses. So mm. you, you've got you're supplying yourself and ten of your neighbours, but four of your neighbours also have their own solar system. So there's actually the typical solar system is supplying way more electricity to the grid than it needs and any of its neighbours need. And it's not uncommon for, um, you know, the whole of a, a city like Adelaide to be the rooftops are supplying more electricity than the whole city needs. It's powering and it's even being exported to, to Victoria. So there's... Uh, especially in the residential parts of the grid, there's a lot more supply than demand, basically. So the idea with the battery is you're essentially taking the surplus electricity that your neighbour's pumping into the grid that's trying to find somewhere to go. That's charging your battery really, really cheaply. And then you um, supply yourself in the evening once the sun sets, you can supply your own usage overnight and you can even pump some back into the grid so that your neighbour who's got a solar without a battery is then drawing it back from you. So what I, I said, that. sorry, look after you. Um, yeah. What I said is you probably don't know about it because it was, it was pretty much a world first, I would say. Um, we didn't really know of anybody else that had done it to that point. And then the second customer to have done that was somebody that Rob worked with um, at the RAF base. And, um, and now we've had a series of other customers who are, who are doing it, but also Tesla have picked this idea up and they've put it on, social housing here in South Australia. So they're doing a trial for battery only residences. Yeah. At the time we sort of first launched this offer, which as Luke said, it was six months before we actually had our retail plan in the market. So we were asking people to take a bit of a bit of faith, but um, the the state government here was offering a really big subsidy, 6,000 bucks to put in, to put in a decent sized battery, which is about half the cost of the, you know, about half the cost of the battery. Um, But I, I called up the the people in government running this scheme and I said, hey, we want to install batteries for people without solar. Mm. Um, can we still get the subsidy? And and they actually replied and said, no, that's not allowed under the scheme. Um, you can't do it. You, you know, that doesn't even make sense. Why would you have a battery with no solar? And I said, well, there's these, there's these cheap tariffs coming in, can charge from the grid. Anyway, I looked up the actual regulation and there was nothing in there that, that kind of precluded it. And I, I sent it back and I said, look, like, where does it actually say in this, you know, in this regulation that, that that's the case? And they came back two days later and said, oh, actually, you know, we've looked into it and and you can do it. Um, so then we kind of knew we had something quite unique because the, the regulators had initially said, no, this isn't allowed or possible. So we knew it was going to be kind of a first and, and something a, a bit unique. So um, it was good to, I'm glad we kind of persisted and 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 got got at least a couple of people got their, their nice fat $6,000 subsidy. A, a bit of a shame that it was so early on because, yeah, those people ended up spending about six thousand bucks to get a twelve thousand dollar battery, um, which would now cost them a lot more, probably fifteen thousand, no subsidy, and they paid it back in three or four years for something that's going to last about fifteen years. So it was a a very very good deal for a small number of people that were able to capitalize. Pretty soon after we launched, um, the government started winding the subsidy down. Um, it was actually part of our campaign that the government had announced in a month's time. The, the subsidy is going to reduce. So we kind of used that and said, hey, like this is your last chance, get your, get your 6,000 bucks while it still lasts. Just when we were about to launch then, that was back in early sort of February, March 2020, and then sort of COVID hit and the 
the world went crazy, but we we still persisted. We um we kind of reverted to lockdown, work from home type mode, and we we still pumped the offer out. But it, I think it was kind of hard to cut through the noise at the time when you know the biggest news story of the century was COVID and the world shutting down, and we're mm-hmm. like, hey, um you know, install a battery, and people were like. Well, why would I even think about that sort of thing at the moment? I don't know if I'm going to have a job or, you know, I'm going to be alive from this, you know, new well, virus. So, well, lads, that's that- brilliant. And for me, like again, just learn, just learning. That's such, just such a common sense approach. Like, of course, just charge the battery when the energy's cheap, and then use the battery when the energy's expensive. It's just, it's that simple. Uh, it is that simple, and yeah. also you can get an even greater benefit when you just consider, oh, well, once I'm using the battery to do this, why don't I just change the time that my hot water system runs why don't i just change the time that my pool pump runs you know all this kind of stuff and i guess up. yeah exactly as as luke said like we've we see once customers switch to this pricing where they have this really incredibly cheap daytime rate so a typical um customer in south australia pays about 50 cents per kilowatt hour for electricity if they're on a single rate whereas we sell electricity from 10 a.m to 4 p.m at eight cents so it's a huge saving um, if you can if you can install the battery and use that up or change your hot water system or you have a pull pump or you run your heating and cooling before you get home. Um, and then I guess kind of takes us a bit towards the the ESG angle and um and the environmental benefits, um, which is that by if customers are using energy to say heat their hot water at midnight, that is either coming from um, it could be coming from wind, but typically it's going to be coming from either a gas power plant that's firing up to meet that demand or from a coal power plant that's, that's exporting electricity across the border from Victoria into South Australia. Whereas if we shift that, that hot water system and instead run it in the middle of the day, that's going to be using up solar electricity that otherwise could be going to waste. Um, quite often, um, solar power plants actually have to turn off in the daytime now because there's not, not enough demand. Um, electricity has to be used when it's being produced. So we're actually shifting customers from using coal and gas to heat their hot water, for example, and instead of using clean, renewable solar electricity. So uh, by shifting customers' consumption from night to day, we can actually help get the electricity grid to 100% renewable and not only save people money, but also decarbonize Australia's economy. How much of this is personal like for me? Again, I, I- Common sense is uncommon, but this all—it all just seems so simple to me. Listening to this, but like for me, is it how much of it is my personal responsibility just to have this consciousness, consciousness, and think, well, let me just go out and uh, you know adjust the hot water system or however you do that, you know, versus more of a societal approach or a policy approach. Where, where's the level of impact you know going to be made here? It, well, I mean, I'll go first and. Luke, you know, you're a bit like from my perspective, it's got to be both. So, um, there's there is a view out there where people go, well, this isn't uh my job. Even like quite committed environmentalists, um, go, no, all I should be doing is is going out and protesting. Um, doing anything personal is is irresponsible. It's a waste of time. I'm just going to lobby the government to change, to change policies. Um, and and then there's like another angle where it's you know purely um just focusing on you know what you're doing i think there's there's a bit of a balance so in my opinion it's hypocritical to go out and and say you know someone else should do something the government needs to to change a policy or or whatever it is if you're not following through on that yourself from a personal level um 
Uh, and then, you know, th- but there's also the aspect of, you know, an individual person isn't going to shift the dial massively. So you actually do need a societal government and business response to actually, you know, solve global warming. Um, but what we've really focused on is more of the cost to people and the, and the individual benefits. So we show people that you can actually save a lot of money by following this kind of energy consumption method. And then people get sort of motivated by that. And it's almost like a side effect is we're also helping get more renewables into the grid. But really the, the selling point to get in there is, is, is saving people a, a buck. And that's probably what motivates people really. So from our perspective, it's like, can we build a business that helps people save money that is profitable and has an environmental benefit? And kind of if you can do all those three things at once, I think that's kind of a, a pretty good business. Yeah, I did a I, podcast. Ca- I did a sorry, look after you. No, all right. Um, I can't say I have too many um, disagreements there. I think that um, you know we try to attack it from both ends. Um, Rob and I, you know, are committed to changing our behaviours at home, but also um, you know we're actually attacking the the problem really from the large end of town, trying to get the biggest customers we can and 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 help them. And you know we'll save. We'll do bill comparisons and we'll be able to save companies tens of thousands of dollars a year um, by taking this approach. Um, it um, it really moves the needle when you get a when you get a result like that, and um, and it would help if uh, if government in particular also you know made it um, easier for us to do this. You know there are there are some challenges and it would help sometimes to have their guiding hand. I did a podcast just probably the last one before this one, when it gets released with a guy called Oliver Barnes, who runs a company called ESG and F. And one of the things Ollie was talking about was it's, it's one thing to do the right thing, but the right thing can also be a profitable thing. You know, if you get it, if you get, do it well, it can actually be financially lucrative as well as being the right thing as well. And sometimes there's no better driver than self-interest. If this is going to benefit me and benefit my back pocket, then absolutely, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I at least investigate it? Uh, could I ask now, you started with residential, but you've been mentioning commercial. Have you always been in the residential space? Where did this shift from one into the other or both? Tell us a little bit about both mm. markets and how you're supporting them. Um, well, I think initially we had quite a residential focus, um, really because it was sort of thinking around you know things people can do in the home, smart home, home batteries, these sort of ideas. And I think our first 50 customers were were all residential. And it was almost a bit of an afterthought that we, when we launched, we also had a business plan. It was like, oh, you know, we'll just have this, you know, we didn't really think about it or focus on it. Um, then around our 50th customer was a was a business. And he um, we hadn't paid anything to acquire this customer. One of our residential customers, I think he was neighbors, and he said, Hey, I've changed energy provider. You should try these guys. And this guy ran a, a pet food business. He had a, a manufacturing, um, a, a factory, a, a warehouse, and a few retail outlets. I think he signed you know, half a dozen different business sites up to us. And some of these were pretty big energy consumers. It was like a pet food factory. And this one customer, our 50th customer, um, actually delivered more revenue to us than our previous 49 residential customers put together. And it was very, very easy. One guy to deal with cost us nothing to acquire. And we sort of, it was a bit of a aha moment going, um, okay, like we love, we love 
helping residential customers, but ultimately kind of in, in business, you've got to drive revenue and, and profit. And then we thought mm, maybe this is the better place to focus our, focus our energy. Um, so taking us to now, I think residential customers make up about 10% of revenue. Um, we really kind of started to more and more, you know, drive hard at, at the business market just because of the fact that, you know, if we sign up an office building, that might use as much electricity as 100, 100 houses. Um, and also naturally, a lot of these businesses use more daytime energy as it is. Um, and then uh, more recently, we, we shifted into, into government. So we supply three local councils um, in, in Adelaide. Um, so yeah, that's kind of been a bit of an evolution of our, our business is moving up into to bigger and bigger customers. And we still really like the residential market, but ultimately, you know, it's comes down to, you know, the cost of acquiring a customer and how much revenue they're going to deliver. And um, if we can kind of, you know, make that that revenue machine spin faster, we, we can sort of really do it by by targeting the the bigger customers. It also speaks just to the, the maturity of the business at this point, um, you know, in the beginning. Uh, uh, a brand that nobody knew pretty much the only people that you could convince to give um, your electricity contract to um, or, or the only people we could convince to give their electricity contract to us were, you know, we're, we're little people, you know, friends and family, but, but now, um, you know, we're pushing into um, industrial businesses, governments and, and the like. And, and uh, so I guess they're recognizing the results that we're having and, and, um, probably also are, in a sense, investing in us as customers to take them to the next level. Let's um, just talk about your brand for a second, because one of the things that I got to admit, I was surprised when I saw your brand was it's a cool brand. You know, I don't know how, how did you come across the name IO Energy? It's just my initial thoughts mm-hmm. of the brand are, uh, dot I, for some reason, it makes me think of a dot IO kind of thing. Uh, like it makes me think of something that like is modern tech based, uh, I, I don't, it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Yeah. It's <laughs> a, it's a great a vibe or Marbo of the kind of feel <laughs> of it, but how did you come across the brand? Cause I really like it. The, the, the name, uh, I guess like, you know, it's kind of like, what's in a name, like you've got to have a name for your business. So I think for a while we were sort of racking our, racking our brains and we had the idea and it was like, okay, we've got to, we've got to put a name on on this and you know you go through hundreds of ideas i actually remember um i was actually on uh a course i think it must have been um trying to think what year what year it was it must have, i must have been on majors course at, at canungra um and my um partner at the time now now wife um had come up to visit me one of the weekends and kind of remember we were driving around the um the mountains the uh i guess the gold coast hinterland mountains around that area um, that weekend and I was just sort of rattling through all these and she was driving and I was just like rattling through names. I was like, what about this? What about this? And, you know, there's so many reasons to throw out a name and like to your, your thing about the .io, I think that kind of just got stuck in my head. Like we wanted this to be quite techie and, you know, .io. Um, but also it was kind of about turning energy on and off. Um, so, you know, turning your energy on when there's more renewables. So there was like this sort of binary, like, one, one zero as well and i kind of thought you know io you know it has that tech vibe of the sort of dot dot io but also um the binary 
idea of kind of turning something off and on. And then also I was kind of rattling through, you know, mythological names and there's Io um, uh, is, is a, a figure out of um, I think Roman, Roman mythology, maybe one of the, one of the wives of Jupiter or something. And there's a, there's a moon um, Io is one of the, one of the bigger moons of, uh, sorry, it might be, yeah, I think it's Jupiter. Anyway, yeah, yeah it must be. Yeah, so that was kind of like a bit of a mythological angle. And I thought, yeah, that that's kind of, yeah, and obviously just whacked energy on the end. So, <laughs> so people knew what we were doing, and um, then we got a got a logo guy. He kind of ran a bit with the with the um, as, uh, the astronomy angle, and the the logo was actually kind of uh, the the little the little dot on top of the eye is supposed to be kind of orbiting around around the eye but uh so it's part energy yeah. um you know on off like a an old on off switch it's part technology dot io um and and as rob says you know this little tilde is a bit offset um if you can see that at all when you but um that essentially is um influenced by the moon of jupiter circling around um jupiter i love it so. i love it i missed a couple of those things with my interpretation of it but my interpretation was it was simple clean and fit for purpose Oh, really, yeah. none of this those things well. matter, and you don't even ever really need. And no one, very rarely, do people actually ask about the name. So it's funny it came up. That's why I talked about it for so long. But um, really, it just needs to be, roll off the tongue a bit and be able to kind of make a good logo. And yeah, you know, well, what's, well done. You've absolutely nailed it. Now, how do you find this period of your growth at the moment? Like you've you've gone through viability. Uh, now we've got. So for me, I love starting businesses. I love going through the ideation, through the MVP phase, through creating them. Now it's like, hey, you, you got to like grow this thing and nurture it, and and you know, mm. this for me is a part of the business that I like. Ugh, now I've got to work in the business. Where where are you guys going at this stage? Uh, we are definitely postured for scale um, or yep. posturing at least. Um, you know, we're we're I'd say we're almost selling ten million dollars worth of electricity at this point, yep. and we are um, we're hiring, so we're bringing on software engineers, we're bringing on a, a general manager. Uh, we are, um, you know, hoping to work with Trust the Process on um, improving some of our internal processes so that we can scale and um, very, very keen on, on, you know, active and quick sales growth as well. Oh, mate, well, thank you. For, thank you for the gratuitous plug. I was going to leave it out, but no, thanks for that. <laughs> um, now, look, it's, it's, it's interesting here because this is a scalable model and, you know, how are we getting the message out there? Like, apart from doing things like this, which is, you know, for my massive audience of uh, my mum and probably, you know, my my dog's babysitter or something like that, is what's your next sort of focus on uh, on the next phase? Is it marketing, getting the word out of here? Is it about product development, product creation? Is it about implementing some of that sustain uh, that foundation of process for scalability? Where are you in that journey? It's probably three things. Um... It's um, building out sales channels, um, so yep. um, deepening our, our penetration into the market. Um, it's about um, expanding into new c categories, so pushing up into even larger customer segments. Um, some, you know, there there are some sites out there that will use as much energy as four hundred homes, right? Yep. So that's kind of the level that we are, are pushing into now and then and the third thing is that we're we're looking to expand into state so right now io energy is exclusively a south australian business based in adelaide but um we intend to expand pretty much all the way up and down the east coast of australia 
Okay, so just on that point now, right now, where can who could buy off you? So number one, South Australian retail, yes. Yep. Sorry, so South Australian residential. Mm-hmm. If you're in South Australia, you can buy electricity from us. We'll, South we'll Australia, so residential, commercial, you're a business. So right now, you could be buying. Can you buy IO Energy anywhere else in Australia yet? There, there is a couple of you know minor products that we sell, um, but yep. no, the core, the core offering is is not yet there. Um, okay, it's perfect. On its way. On its way. So we look you now a couple of months, the next year or so. Should we keep you on our radar for that? Definitely. Yeah, because practicing what I preach here is, you know, I want to get my email. When there's things out there that we have to pay, I always want to support people that I know, particularly you guys are a veteran-owned and founded business. So this is really important for us to practice what we preach and now why not shop where we shop where we earn kind of thing. Um, What's next for you guys? How, you've now got, you've kicked the life into this thing. It's now starting to drive on its own momentum. I love the fact that you're hiring a GM, you know, pay as much money for the smartest dude or lady that you can get to really, you know, keep you guys operating in your higher space. But what's next in terms of your individual slash business journeys? Um, well, so Luke already talked about a lot of the the growth stuff where we're working on interstate expansion, bigger customers, new channels. Um, something else that we're 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 building and we're really investing in is um is technology and software and, and a tech platform. When we came into the energy industry, we realized that it had barely been touched by software or technology. Um, it the most of the tech that was used within um, energy businesses was was very old, not fit for purpose. Um, energy is probably where you know fintech was and where banks were in the early two thousands, where you know they were essentially run on people and spreadsheets. Um, and you know now you know Combank and Macquarie, I think, are the two biggest employers of software engineers um, in Australia. Um, and they were really pushed by fintechs who came in and said we can actually do this better and, and differently and really shifted the industry. And I think you're starting to see that in, in energy now where it's moving away from being a sort of spreadsheets and people business to being, you know, cloud-based modern SaaS platforms. And that's what we're building is, uh, you know, more than half of our team, about three quarters of our team really are software engineers. Um, and we probably see that continuing. So when we see a new job to be done, we don't go, okay, let's um, let's hire a person and they can, you know, write down some notes on paper or make a spreadsheet. We we go, let's build onto our platform. Let's build technology that solves this problem, whether that's customer onboarding, whether that's managing sales channels, um, energy analysis. So our customers often come and say, hey, like I can see you're offering cheaper days on energy, um, but am I actually going to save money? I don't know how I use energy across the day. So we build a platform that delivers that analysis in a really you know customer friendly, understandable way. We we integrate with the sort of latest um, data sharing um, scheme, which lets us go to their existing provider and they have to give us the data. If the customer gives us permission, we can go and get all their billing data or their consumption data, present them that analysis in real time. And this is where we, I kind of see the most exciting and interesting part of where we're going is, is really building these deep defensible um, barriers around our model by having the best platform and the best technology that's powering our, our retail energy business. Yeah, on some level, we got into energy because we had to, because nobody else was prepared to employ technology in the energy industry. Um, but, you know, we've always been a technology company at heart. Uh, I love it. You know, it's been great working with you guys, particularly. So just 
for anyone out there, Trusted Process or our business has been working with the lads on implementing their HubSpot. And we also, you know, help with some systemization and, and getting them some offshore team members. But this is a great story about two uh, army innovators that saw an opportunity out there. And I still don't understand how you get from, hey, I'm just going to start an energy company to, to actually making that happen. So so kudos to you lads to, for doing that. One of the things just, I just want to go back to your ever broadening customer segment before I wrap this up, because there's got there's a, probably a top end that you, you probably won't provide for immediately, i.e., maybe a lithium melting smelter or something like that, that's using huge amounts of energy. But there is so many uh, people and businesses that could be using IO energy. I noticed that you've even got a, uh, a renters program for people that do have that consciousness about how to find and how to use renewable energy, even when they don't have solar power in their homes. So from the residential, what kind of businesses up to what kind of level should be uh, coming to IO Energy, you know, and having a look about what you guys do. It doesn't really matter what size you are, um, but if you use or you could use a lot of daytime electricity, if you're a cafe or an office or a manufacturing facility, um, most likely you're running nine to five and will be a, a great fit for you. Um, and you know, if you're somebody who thinks that they might not be able to because they're, you know, out at the office um, during the daytime. Well, just keep in mind that most of your energy consumption is done by appliances that can easily be programmed. Um, so it mm. doesn't take much effort to to just reconfigure how your house operates in your absence, and um, and and even those things that are quite you know simple technologies like white goods. You know they've got delay switches. You can you can hit that delay switch on on the way out of the door. So um, we you know we're a company for everybody. Um, you just need to. Um, have the, the ambition to reduce your energy costs and and use more you know renewable electricity help us along with a clean energy transition. Yeah, it's it's so simple. I remember as a kid, my old man was always like, "Turn that light off in the room." You know, like he he he'd walk around. He just paced the house all day, turning lights off after all. After everybody goes into one room, I heard one simple saying: "You only need one. You only need one light on one room away from where you are, maybe." They don't need to be lights on in every room in the house all day. Just little things about changing our habits. But hey, lads, thanks for joining me today on the Military Mindset for Business podcast. Uh, where are we? We're on the 29th of August when I'm filming this today. Uh, I'm really interested to see when we come back in a year or two and we're talking about these, you know, this humble level of where, you are, where we are today, just what this business is going to be like in 12 or 20, 24 months' time. I encourage everybody to get onto the IO Energy website. That's ioenergy.com.au. And there's some great content on there that you can learn a lot about the kinds of things that Luke and Rob have been talking about today. Uh, if you're like me and you're anticipating when they're going to be launching in other states, jump on there, throw your name into the newsletter, and we'll let you know as soon as this comes into reality. Gents, a pleasure. Thank you for your time today. And thanks for joining me on the Military Mindset for Business podcast. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. Take care. Um, that's it for me. I'll wrap it up now. My name's Pete Liston. Out. Oh.